Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Ventures, we continue on in this series, The Generous Life. Today, we're going to look at some really practical parts of what does it mean to live a generous life? What does the Bible have to say about it? And what does our money say about us? What do we learn, not only about this category, but what do we learn about us? You know, Napoleon was one of the greatest generals, greatest leaders, went on a campaign, was finally defeated in 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo. And he's defeated by the Duke of Wellington. And a lot of people have studied both sides of that equation, Napoleon and, and Wellington as well. In fact, it's interesting, one of the latest biographies of Wellington that was written the biographer said, you know, I think I had a unique advantage of how he patterned his life because he had researched and found Wellington's financial ledgers. And he said, as, as I went through the ledgers, both in his personal life, but also in campaigns, the money told me more about him than even his letters or speeches or other things that were stated. Because you might state some things publicly but when you trace the money, you actually knew what he was prioritizing and what was important to him. So let's fathom somebody's writing a biography of your life. And as they're writing it, they get a hold of all your tax returns and your checkbook and all your accounts. And they use that to frame the story of your life. What would it say about you? probably more than we even realize at times. Because sometimes we can just kind of live in the fog of it. Or we do this disconnect, and, and as Christians we can do this as well. This disconnect between what we say we believe and where our actions are really showing us. And money's one of those clear, clear ways that kind of shows what you really believe and what you value. And so as we've seen this in scripture, it's, it's a core matter of faith. Look at it with just a review. We, last week we said God is the owner, everything is his. God's owner, everything is his. And we believe this. It's said all throughout scripture, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So if that is true, then when I frame how I look at me, I'm a steward responsible to manage the resources he's given me. He's the owner, I'm the steward of everything, all of it my time, my talent, my treasure, all of it. And, and we looked last week as Jesus, and he talks a lot about this. Jesus taught about the parable of the, the unrighteous steward. It was kind of a strange story, but as Jesus taught in it, he said, one who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, if you're not faithful now with what he's given you, then who will trust you with the true riches? Those, those riches, those rewards, those eternal rewards. If he can't trust, he's, he's looking at how you manage this now. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Remember all of it's God's right now. So we're stewarding, I'm managing God's. And he says, he wants to reward you with that which is your own. And if you've not been faithful in that as a steward, then it has an impact. The third thing that we've looked at is that one day I'll give an account of my stewardship to Jesus. 
So one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and I'll give an account to him. And, and we referenced it last week. I want to give you the verses from that. Second Corinthians five, Paul talks about this. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, that, that judgment seat, and he's writing this to the people in Corinth. If you go to Corinth today, it's pretty fascinating. You can go, they've excavated to the time of Paul. You can see the road that Paul walked on, all the different parts. And the platform for the judgment seat is still there. And so you go to Corinth and there's this big platform that's there and there was a seat that sat on top of it. And, and you could tell the power dynamics because as you stand up to that platform, the platform comes to about right here. And so you'd be looking up at the judge who in Corinth would adjudicate mainly on civil matters. The people came with that and they make judgment on it. And Paul says, one day, we as Christians are going to stand before Jesus at this judgment seat, this Bema, and he's gonna evaluate how we stewarded our lives. And in it, remember I told you, you're not gonna be judged based on your sins. As a Christian, our sins paid for. So we're not there sitting there going, oh man, I shouldn't have done all those bad things. No, if anything, Christ is the foundation. You're gonna be judged on what you did to build on the foundation that he gave you. Look how he puts it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's talking about our salvation. We're believers. He did for us what we can't do. So I'm not building, I'm not trying to earn. I don't use my money to get right with God. The foundation's been laid in Jesus Christ. I'll never be judged on my sins if I'm in Christ. Now that alone should free most of us that we just go, oh, I am so thankful for that. But then look what Paul says, he, he says on this, now if anyone builds on the foundation, so you're building on that, you're building a life, he pictures your life like a building, and, and you're either building a life of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work is gonna be manifest, it's gonna show for the day, that day of judgment will disclose it, It'll be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive reward. If the work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So this isn't their salvation. Remember the foundation is Jesus, but, as, but only as through fire. And this is pretty fascinating the way, the way he puts this. He says, when you come, you're, you stand before Jesus and your, your life is evaluated in that. And, and he's describing an eternal audit. Now, and as soon as I use the word audit, we immediately go to the IRS. And we go, ooh, that's a bad thing. And the reason, I mean, you think about an audit, what do you have to do with the IRS? You have to show up and you have all your receipts and you gotta show them everything and you gotta prove to them. Because let's be honest, the purpose they're doing the audit is they want you to pay more. And if you didn't do it right, there's a penalty. I mean, no one ever gets audited by the IRS because the IRS has a suspicion you didn't take enough deductions. And so let us help you find some ways to get some more money. No, there, there's a purpose. They're looking at you, they're scrutinizing, and you gotta stand there and prove it. Now, here's the great thing with the eternal audit. When you stand before Jesus, you don't have to show up with any receipts, okay? You don't have to have any of that. He already knows. He knows it all. So you don't have to prove anything to him. In fact, you, you stand in front of him, he's like, I know you know, we know, okay? So there's no discussion around that. 
Look at the purpose though. His purpose is not that you stand there to pay more. His purpose is he wants to reward you more. Isn't that fascinating? There's no penalty. There's no part of this where he, he's going, man, you didn't do this right. I'm gonna, he's sitting there going, hey, I wanna really look. Did you believe me when I told you about these things of eternity? Did you believe me when I told you how you could use your resources in these ways? Did you use your time, your talent, and your treasure in a way that you built your life on this? And I want to reward you in it. And, and I love this, notice as well, you, you can choose to build a life that is totally for right now and right here and for ourselves. Even as a believer, he says, some will build a life and everything in their life burns up. Um, they're still saved. He said, they're saved. You're still a Christian. You're still in heaven. You may smell like smoke a little bit. They're saved as by fire. And I, I love that. Even in that, God's going, I'm not forcing this on you guys. I'm not gonna force you to, to use it in these ways. I'm gonna give you the opportunity and the choice. Do you believe me? And are you living in a way that's gonna have that kind of impact? That, that's why it's so important that we talk about it and we recognize if you look in scripture and we've talked about this, money is a tool for this life and a test for the life to come. It's a tool for right now. It's a wonderful tool, by the way. It's a horrible master, but it's a wonderful tool. And so there's part of it, and we'll look at, God's given us this tool for this life right now, but it's also a test for the life to come. It's also an evaluation that God's looking at us, goes, did you really believe? Did you believe in a way, in a tangible way, that you use this resource, that you were thinking about eternity, that you were trusting me, that you were doing what he's put all through scripture in that? And, and it's one of the clearest ways, instead of just stated beliefs to actual beliefs, that you're evaluated. This is one of the reasons, by the way, guys, and I told you this first week, I need to preach on money more. We need to talk about it more. And, and here's why I say that. Have you ever had experience when you were in school or maybe you're in college and you come to the final exam and, and you start into the exam and the teacher's asking questions that you never talked about in class? You ever had that experience? And then you're like, we, we never talked about this. And they say, well, it was in the book. It was in the book and you know, the exam covers the whole book and, and you're kind of left, you know, that frustration. And, and, and here's what I don't want to happen to you. I don't want you to stand before Jesus one day and you're in an eternal audit in your life and he goes, hey, I really want to evaluate what you did with your treasure, what you did with your money because it's a core part of this test to, to see. And you stand in front of him and go, well, we never talked about it in church. Preacher never talked about it because it made people uncomfortable. Hear me, it's on the test. <laughs> and it's in the book. It's in both. And so we talk about it for your sake. Because I don't want you to miss out. That's the core reason that God teaches so much. Remember, he's not doing this for penalty. The penalty's been paid. He's doing this because as a gracious God, he wants to put reward on top of reward. And he's looking to see who really believed me. Who really took
took me at my word. And they live by faith in that way. So, so as we think about it, and we're, we're gonna walk through what does it mean to be a, a steward, we're gonna talk about what, what is the categories of how do I use money as both a tool and a test? Keep both those things in your mind as we walk through these because both are true in this. It's a tool for how I live this life, but it's also a test for the life to come in it. To do that, I think we've got to think about what is his purpose and then the plan. You've got to have a purpose and plan. What's the why behind the tool and the test? And then what's the plan for that tool and test? And so when we look at it as purpose, the first purpose that money is a tool for this life is all of us have responsibility to care for myself and my household. Scripture recognizes God's given us this money as a tool because you've got responsibilities. And Paul says this, look how he puts it in Thessalonians. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you the command, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. It's pretty strong. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now these are strong commands in this. Let me be clear. Paul is not saying there shouldn't be any programs to help poor people or those who are disenfranchised. If you look through scripture, God set up those kind of plans with that. Some people are in a place in life, they can't live this out. Some people don't have a job. So you you don't wanna overstate in this, but you do want to recognize, he's pretty strong on this, that work is a fundamental part of our life. That in fact, and the busybodies he's talking about, they're the people that they have so much money, they were able to cash out and they're doing nothing now. And they're just making trouble. And in fact, a lot of times when we frame life, you know, what, what's the biggest goal when, when people talk about money in this? Oh man, if you could retire at the age of 30, you know, or by 35 or these things. Now, now hear me, I hope maybe you've hit that age or maybe you're sitting out there and, and you're at a place that you're able to not have to work at a job. But hear me, Christians, we work till the very end. It's fundamental. Work is not part of the fall. Work was pre-fall. And Paul says a fundamental part of your productivity, and if you're at the place that you've got the resources, I'm not having to work in order to earn money, man, you're that much freer to work for the kingdom and work in serving others. I hope your dream is not to cash out and become a busybody. Now, you wouldn't call yourself that. That's Paul's term for it. His dream is, man, you would be able to use those resources in a way and be that much more productive. Uh, Look at it here. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Remember, we said this whole thing, your money, it's fundamental to how you live out your faith. And he says, you're living in a way that, that when people look at you, they go, man, that's what Christians are like. And Paul says, no, we are productive. We are responsible. We are responsible for our household and our relatives. Now, one of the questions that I had come in on this was, okay, what about extended family? What is my responsibility with extended family and and what I should do? In in fact, I want to tell you, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to just spend the, the message talking, answering questions. And money questions in part with that. 
And so if you go to the church website, just the info site, whatever, if you got a money question, send it in. We'll try to address as many of those as possible because we want to talk about this in a direct way because we actually believe it's on the test. And so we don't want to miss any categories that we need to talk about in it. Uh, the first one's responsibility. The second reason God's given us this tool of money is rule, to use the resources from God to advance the kingdom of God. Jesus, when he said pray, he said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We wanna see the kingdom of God advance here. And, and when we say that, what we're saying is God wants to claim the whole planet for his glory. That's always been his design. In fact, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, look at the fundamental command he gave to Adam and Eve. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Bring dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish and sea and birds and heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's this fundamental command of take this planet for his glory. And that's still hardwired within us. And that's a core reason that we use the resources he's given me, how am I shaping this planet for his glory? Now, one of the easiest ones that we immediately go to is giving, as I give to kingdom causes, as I give to missions, as I give to church, as I give to those things that I recognize, man, that is an outpost of the kingdom there. But, but hear me on this one, because too often, and I talk to a lot of friends that are businessmen, I've got a lot of friends who, who they work in different sectors, and, and some of them, when they're honest with me, they go, you know what it feels like sometimes church tells me? Church tells me that I'm only good for making money so I can give money to the church or I can give money to something. And when you hear that, you start reducing the vision of even what your job's about. Guys, hear me. Because remember, it's an evaluation of your time, your talent and treasure, all of who you are. And when God talks about this, of course I want you giving to kingdom causes. But the resources and the money he's given to you is so much bigger than that. Some of you are forming companies that shape the planet for God's glory. That bring stability and life to, to families and homes. You're leading in a way in your practice, in your law firm, in your business, in your studies, in your artistic expression, in, in your household that you're keeping. All of those are expressions on this planet and God looks at your sphere, no matter how big or small, and he says, yes, I want you claiming that sphere for my glory. That's my kingdom coming. So it's not just the money you make, it's the life you live and the company you form. And the classes you teach. I hope we never reduce it down that you ever feel like you're just earning a paycheck just to give to something good. What you do is good. And we don't tell you that enough. But it's hardwired in scripture. So, so we have this money for, for the rule, the resources from God for the kingdom of God. And then the third part of it is as a reward to enjoy God's good gifts as a measure of his grace. We, we, he gives us this, that we don't sit around going, oh man, I hate that he blessed me. If you look at it, look, I love this Ecclesiastes. He says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. There's a, a measure of grace as a good father that he has gifted you and he's gifted us. And we can live in that. But you know, I, I've met some people, and especially Christians at times, they can't enjoy life at all. 
And, and it's usually based on a, a couple of things. It's usually either based on fear because they're always afraid of what's coming. And so they live in fear and that's usually an indicator in your heart that money's no longer your tool, it's become your master and your source of security. That you can't enjoy it even. The other side of it is guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty. I mean, we have, and of all the people on this planet, we've been the most blessed in it. And you, you, you could find a reason to feel guilty all the time. Now you may have good reasons to feel guilty for how you're using your money, I don't know that. But as a category as a whole, it's really a horrible motivator. Because when people operate off of just guilt, they usually do whatever they can to alleviate the guilt real quick. And it's not something sustained with it. And by the way, God has never called us to feel guilty for something he gifted us. He has called us to be grateful. And gratitude actually will lead you to where you get more radical with what you do with your money than guilt ever will. And so, so you look at the purpose of this tool, if you just reduce it down, man, God's given me these resources so that I'm responsible. I take care of those, my household and those that God's given me. I have a measure of rule. I'm using it to shape this planet, that, that his kingdom comes, that it, this place looks more like that place in the way that I lead, the way that I use my resources, the way that I use my time, talent, and treasure. And then the third part of it, I step back and I go, God, thank you for your good reward. Thank you that I'll have a meal today. Thank you that many of us will go and watch a fun football game on TV this afternoon. Defining how it turns out may impact your fun, but you know. There, there's, a, there's a place of just resting in that reward with that and understanding those purposes. As you do that though, then you've got to think about a plan. You have to have a plan. And, and the reason I say this, look how scripture says, wise people think before they act, fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. So wise people are always planning ahead. This is true in every area of your life. And, and so the question is, you have a pattern with your money, do you have a plan? See, a pattern is just what happens. And somebody can track what you think is important. You could actually track your own life with your own money. But, but Proverbs, wise people go, you know what? I don't want to just live a pattern. I want to proactively be thinking about a plan. And, and especially when I know this is one of the areas that God's going to look at me as a steward and go, how did you use the resources I gave you? What did you do with it? And by the way, he's not just gonna ask you how much you gave away, he's actually interested what you do with all of it. How'd you live in a way that showed those purposes that he talked about? And, and if you went, let's say you were interviewing a financial advisor. You went to someone, you said, yeah, I wanna give you my resources because I want you to invest them for me. And then you asked them, so, you know, what's your plan? And if they looked at you and they go, oh, well, I don't know. We're just gonna wing it. We'll see what happens next week. It's gonna be a short interview, isn't it? You, you'd literally walk out, you'd go, there's no way I'm giving you my resource. You're winging it all the time. And yet, let me remind you again, every resource I have, God gave to me. And he's going, hey, what, what are you doing with it? And if you don't have a plan, you're winging it all the time. You got a pattern, you don't have a plan. As you look at it, 
Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now, some of what I'm talking in this next part of it, I would encourage you, everything that I've built on, this is designed for what does the Bible say to Christians about money? And so we're tying this to our fundamental beliefs at it. If you're here, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're early in the journey. Maybe you're not sure you, you, what, what you believe in it. And you may hear part of this. You go, I don't even know that there's a, a heaven to come. I don't know that I'm gonna stand in front of Jesus one day. You may not believe that. I, I get that uh, with it. We do, so that's why we're building off of this. Here's what I would encourage you. There's so much wisdom and truth in the Bible about money that you can learn from that. I would hope that you glean from it, but, but I just wanna make sure you're clear. All of this is because of our fundamental beliefs in Christ that drive us in these categories. And so fundamentally, good planning and hard work, those are the two combinations that can lead to prosperity in this life and, and when you think about your money as a whole, here's your categories with it. Here's your categories. The money you live on, the money you save, debt and what you do with that, taxes and what you give. And some of you right now, you're like, well, Tim, that's the wrong order. And all. I, I'm not, it's not there for order or anything else. I'm just, these are the categories. And there's great resources to help you in each of these categories. In fact, in your notes there at the very end, I put three books, three different kind of then these are Christian teachers. They have great resources. They have budgeting resources. They have tools. There's cl classes on that. My goal today is not to dive deep in the weeds on all those things because there's so many good things. I just want you thinking about it from an eternal perspective with it of how do we approach each of these resources. And so as you look at the, the first one, when we live, the, the core word, if you wanna write down one word for how you live, write down the word budget. A budget is your plan. And so do you have a budget that you're planning in life? I love how John Maxwell puts it. He says, you know, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. It's just grabbing some control out of it. And as you look at it, a budget, in a lot of ways, a budget is exactly like a diet. Let me give you the world's simplest diet. World's simplest diet, you got input and output, food and exercise. And so if you have too much of this input and not enough of this output, what happens? We gain weight. You have less of this, more of this, you'll lose weight for the most part. Now, some of you are sitting here and go, Tim, it's not that simple. And it really isn't. There's metabolism, there's other parts. I get all that, but at a fundamental level, this is the main lever on it. And the same thing with the budget. Let me give you the world's simplest budget. You got inputs and outputs. You got income and you got expenses. And, and you're gonna have to figure out, am I managing these? And the more I can create a gap between this one and this one in the positive direction, the better I will do for the most part. The more I let this one just run out of control because I don't have a plan. I'm kind of winging it all the time. Or I find myself all the time going, oh, I wasn't planning on that. Oh, that comes once a year. Oh, that bill, I didn't see. It, it starts biting you. Now, again, some of you go, Tim, it's not quite that simple and all that. I, I recognize, that's why I gave you resources at the bottom because they'll help you walk through that. But at a core level, do you think in these ways? Do you know what's going on with that? And, and here's the fascinating part of it. Anytime you talk about money or, or that, 
The part that most people fixate on then is this side of it. Here's what we tell ourselves: If I only had more money, my problem would be solved. If I only could get that next race, if I could only hit that, if I could only hit that lottery. The, the fascinating part though is when we keep raising income, expenses usually go right with it. The gap between them doesn't decrease and we spend more. And, and, and so, you know, and this is just from financial scholars. They'll just tell you, the more you focus all your energy here, maybe you can get a better job, maybe you can get a raise, but for the most part, this is the one we can't control as much. This is the one we actually have control over. And so the more energy I'll spend here of going, how do I control expenses? I actually see the difference in it. Uh, Proverbs says the same thing, or Ecclesiastes, Solomon says the same thing. He says, he who loves money, you're not gonna be satisfied with it. If I keep saying, I just need more income out of it. He who loves wealth with his income, this is also vanity. That, that I, I've just got to have more and more. And so the question just for you is, do, do you have a budget? Do you know what you're doing or are you winging it? It's surprising the numbers of how many people are winging it in life all the time. With that, you've got the second category, savings. Savings, this is a key category. Uh, th this is a key one because if you study it, let, let me just say to young people, here, here's what, if you study nothing else, Study the impact of time and compound interest. You'd be amazed at what comes out of it. I mean, you look at people and you know, Warren Buffett is the, the investor that everybody looks at. It's fascinating. He's worth about $85 billion now. Do you realize that he earned 82 billion of that after the age of 65? In fact, he earned those first three billions after the age of 50. It wasn't just that he's a good investor. He just, from literally childhood, he, he determined, man, if I were to invest and give time and compound interest, it's amazing what can happen out of that. And so as you, you think about it, and the goal is not, I don't want to be a billionaire, but I do need to plan for the future. I do need to remember I'm supposed to be responsible. And so that's part of that responsibility. As you think about it, though, it's so easy to make an emotional decision now that impacts that. then. For those of us that are gray-haired in this room, think back when you were young, maybe early marriage or that. If you could rewind the tape and go stop yourself, would you? Or maybe picture it this way. You know, every so often I'll see on social media, they show uh, security cameras that happen on a street corner or happened in that and it shows a crime, sometimes in a store with that. Picture a street corner though and you see a little old couple walking there. And as they're walking, this young man and young woman come up to them and mug them, take their money and then run off. And then you see it happen again. And then a few days later, it happens again and again. If we saw this on a security camera, I know for a fact, I probably would call someone and go, can we get the police on that corner? Can we get somebody to stop those young people from taking their money? Now, here's what I want you to know. When you fail to save, that's you robbing from you. You're the old couple and you're the young couple. 
And so the, the money that you would need, the resources you would need one day, you're constantly stealing it from yourself when you fail to save any of it. And if we saw it happening to someone, we'd go, man, stop that. Well, let me say it to you because you actually have control over it. See, saving stops you from robbing from you when you'll probably have more wisdom to know what to do with it if you can force yourself to do it. The problem is we let our emotions get in the way. You know, Morgan Housel, he writes for the, the Wall Street Journal, written a really fascinating book, The Psychology of Money. He's got a great line in that book. He said, your savings, your savings rate, you know what it's based on? It's based on the difference between your income and your ego. And that's usually why we spend so much because we allow ego to say, you know what? I deserve this. I should show this. I have this. If you're willing, and it's fascinating. He's, he's a financial writer for the Wall Street Journal. He says, you know what? One of the best things that fuels savings is humility. That when you come to it and you go, I'll be humble. When you allow yourself to, to not be so emotionally driven in that. Look, look how Proverbs puts it. It says, go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And, and this sense, here's what I love. It says, look at the ants. They don't do it because somebody told them they have to. And so one of the things I would encourage you the most, the more you can remove emotion out of savings, the more you make it something automatic that you're not always making a decision, you just set it up that it's always taken out. A lot of advisors say you should save at least 10%. And if you'll do that as a young person starting out, it's amazing what can happen out of that. Now, as I say that, let me just flip it because remember we're talking about it from a biblical perspective, not just a financial advisor perspective. Can you save too much? Now, those of you sitting out there, some of you, you're the saver in the family. You know, when I'll do premarital counseling, it's always fascinating. There's usually one spender and one saver. They're almost invariably, the way they're wired. And the savers, if you're the saver in the family right now, you're sitting there going, no, you can never save too much. It's the godliest thing that you can do. It, it's fascinating to me, one of Jesus's harshest parables is about a rich guy who was great at saving. In fact, he had made so much, he had barns, he had warehouses, he had all of it, and he filled it, and he filled it, and filled it, and he reached the brim of it. And then he says, you know what I need to do? I need to build more. I need more accounts. I don't just need that IRA, I need this account, and I need this one, and I need that, and I don't just need this to live on in retirement, I need this, and it grew. And in the parable, Jesus looked at him and said, you fool. Life's done tonight. What were you saving it for? Now, now hear me, because I can feel the tension a little bit if you're sitting here. Yes, part of what I'm saving for is, remember, I'm responsible for my household and life, so I need to be wise in that. I don't need to rob from myself when I'm young so that I can be responsible. But I don't need to make savings the total source of my security. Because when you do, when it moves from tool to master, you'll never have enough in that account. 
That's why Paul warns in it. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. A key part of that that Paul teaches. That it's not your security, it is your responsibility. And there's a big difference between those. Third category then is debt, debt. And main warning of scripture is avoid it, avoid it. And, and again, and this is why I encourage you to read some of the resources because some people can teach. They'll say, you can't have any debt. You're not allowed to have any debt. I don't believe that's true. I think what scripture's warning against is unsecured debt. And so if you have a mortgage on your house, that actually can be a great tool because you've borrowed that money cheaper and you've invested in a resource that's growing over time out of that. Now, you don't wanna to get too much house. You don't wanna to get to where you're upside down on the house. You don't wanna always be borrowing against that house. Cause see, in that moment, you've gone from a secured debt. If someone came to claim the debt, you have the house that it's secured to. If you get upside down with that, and some of you have experienced this, it's no longer secured by that. And so you're very vulnerable. Same can be true in a car. You can have a car loan, you gotta be much more careful with it because cars depreciate so quickly. And so many people end up upside down in their car and you're basically driving around in an unsecured debt. Here's the main thing scripture's warning against in debt and hear me with it. It's unsecured debt like credit cards or personal loan or anything because here's what you're doing in that moment. You've secured the debt to you. It's not secured to a house or any other resource. It's you. You sold you. That's why Proverbs, look how Proverbs puts it. It says the rich rule over the poor. The borrower is the slave of the lender. And when he talks about the slavery here, he's not talking about chattel slavery that was practiced in this country. Chattel slavery is where someone is sold into slavery. Someone has no control of their life. It's horrible injustice. We're still feeling the impact of how horrible that is. What he's describing, what was practiced at that time and was practiced in the New Testament was a form called indentured servitude or slavery. And this is where you sold yourself. So let's say you had a bill and you had nothing else to do, or sometimes people would do it, I wanna start a company or that. You would go and sell yourself as a bond servant, an indentured servant for a certain amount. You'd work out the contract with them. You'd say, hey, for this amount of money, how many years or how much time would I have to serve in this role in order to pay that off? And that's what he's describing here. That's what you've done when you use a credit card. When, when you use any resource that's not secured anything, you sold part of you. And in fact, you, you do well if maybe you've got a lot of unsecured debt. Just sit down and figure out how much you make an hour. I mean, maybe you're paid in yearly, whatever. You can do the math pretty quick. How much does an hour of my time cost? How much do I owe? Oh, that's how long I'm an indentured servant. And so the Bible's going, you don't wanna live that way. It robs you of you. It robs you of your time and your dream and your resources. And so one of the most fundamental things you can do is say, I want to reduce that. I don't want to live in that. And you say no to that debt. Let me give you two more categories and we'll finish out. Taxes, this one's not hard. Pay them. <laughs> Pay them. 
I mean, Romans 13, he said, for this reason, you pay taxes because they're God's ministers. The authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, revenue, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so we pay our taxes. And you go, Tim, I have no choice in the matter. I've known some, they go, man, our government's doing such bad things with it. I am not paying a dime with that. Paul lived under a government that did really bad things. He still said, hey, this is part of the system. You pay your taxes. Now, I hope you find every deduction you can. I hope, seriously, I'm not saying this, that you just blindly in the system with that, but there is a core part that you pay your taxes. And, and you felt this. I remember one of my kids, when they got their first job, they got their paycheck. They were so excited. And then they looked at it and they were like, and then they said, who is this FICA and what are they doing with my money? You know? That sense. Now, it is fascinating to me when it comes to taxes, we plan for it. Because we know there are consequences if we've not planned accordingly. We actually believe what the government says they're going to do. Do we approach these other areas of money and giving and that with that same level of belief that our authority meant what he said? That God meant what he said about eternity? And he meant what he said about what he wanted us to do with these things? See, he's more gracious than the IRS. He just is. And again, it's just fascinating to me. Their goal is to get more and you get penalized when you don't do it right. His goal is to reward more because he wants you to experience that much more both in this life and the life to come. And so then we come to the final category is give then, give. And Jesus said these words, Paul said, in all these things I've shown you working hard in this way, we help the weak, we remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He himself said it's more blessed to give than receive. And this is a huge category, a lot with it. So we're gonna unpack give next week. Now I say that, some of you are like, ooh, I will find something to do next week. And if you do, boy, that would be a really poor choice. Because this is going to be on the test. And I'd rather you be uncomfortable now than uncomfortable then. I, I, I put this here, you know, Jesus said it's more blessed to give. This is actually the one of the whole category. It's more blessed. You'll be more blessed in your life if you give than receive. And yet, we say we believe that, but if you go back to these categories, this order a lot of times is how we actually approach money. We start with, oh, I, I gotta live on this, and oh, I need to save this, and oh, I gotta deal with my debt, and oh yeah, I gotta pay those. And then after we've been through all this, I go, oh, what's left? God, I really wanted to give, but I don't have much left. Because I put it at the very end. I made it my last priority. And guys, that's part of the test. That's part of what you're showing, not only to God, but let's go ahead and be honest. Go ahead and admit you're showing yourself this. Because when you think about it, it shows the priority of who I value the most here. Look at this. When I live, that's for me now. That's, that's for my life right now. That's what we're living on. And when I save, that's for me in the future. 
And when I pay debt, that's for me yesterday because I already got it and now I got to pay for it. And taxes, I know some of you are going, well, that's not for me. Yeah, it is actually. That's for me to stay out of jail. <laughs> it is. And then I come to the last category and it's for God and for others. Remember Jesus said the words that if you wanted to reduce all of Christianity, what do you reduce it down to? You love the Lord your God with all your heart. You love others as yourself. He says, this is the core of what you actually believe. But our practice actually is telling us, oh, I think I love me more than any of those. That, that's why we have to talk about it. That's why we have to face it. That's why we have to embrace it. That Jesus really meant when he said, it is actually more blessed to give than receive. I don't want you to miss out on the reward of giving in this life. I don't want you to miss out on the reward of security when money's no longer your master and it becomes a tool. I don't want you to miss out the reward of what God wants to do through you in your work and your business and all that comes with it. And I don't want you to stand in front of Jesus one day and he says, hey, let's talk about this. And you say, well, I was never taught this. It's on the test. And so for our sake and for eternity and for life now, this is why we evaluate it and we take that hard look so that we can experience all that God's given us. And so next week, we're, we're gonna dive in that much more how do we really approach that last category in a way in light of the categories that we just talked about? Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for just your word, the truth of it, the honesty. We thank you for how you speak into our lives with such clarity. And uh, Lord, I, I pray today as we wrestle with these topics, there's so much that we struggle with guilt at times. We struggle with regret we struggle with the different ways that we approach this. And so, Father, I pray that you would just go before us. Would you work in hearts today? Would you give us a measure of grace where we need it? There's some people today, they just need the grace that you're a God of new beginnings. And so today's the day of new beginning. Lord, I, I pray there's some people in this room, I, I've looked at their faces, they've been faithful for years with what you've given them. I pray they'd have that sense of dad just looking down going, well done, well done. Lord, for those who are just starting on this journey, would you just convince them in their heart right now, it's not what you want from them, it's what you have for them. That you're not a God who penalizes, you paid the penalty. But you're a God who loves to reward when we take you at your word. And so we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.